Hello there, and welcome to the Unfuck Your Biz with Brayden podcast, a show to encourage and empower creative CEOs just like yourself through actionable legal, tax, and financial topics. I'm Brayden Drake, an author, lawyer, tax pro, and educator, but you can just call me Brayden, your gay best friend, here to help you unfuck that biz. If you're ready to dive in, grab a notebook, maybe some coffee, and buckle in to learn how you can implement solid strategies to build a profitable business. Well, hello, friends, and welcome back to the podcast. I am very excited for today's guest. Today, I have Rachel Griman here. Rachel, you are the owner of Green Chair Stories, correct? Yes, sir. Okay, I run a very informal process here. I did not collect any information, any bio, <laughs> um, but that's because I recently heard Rachel on uh, the Get Paid podcast. You all know my friend, Claire. We had her on the podcast before. So I'm going to have Rachel do like a little bit of background story for us, but not a lot because she did a lot of the background on Claire's podcast. So if you all are listening to this and you're like, uh, this Rachel, this Rachel lady, she seems really awesome. And I want to get to know her more. Definitely go tune in to that episode. Okay. So with that out of the way, Rachel, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. My kids are in school. That that's all I ask for in life at this yeah, point. Okay. We love that for you. So you're like home alone, <laughs> feeling fresh, yes. yes, fresh, relaxed, ready to work. Okay. Beautiful. So Rachel, broadly speaking, you are a copywriter for photographers. Yes. Yep. All yep. photographers, any photographers, any photographers. And occasionally I will write for other creative service providers. Like I have a lot of designer clients, like website Beautiful. designers. Um, but for the most part, it's all photography all the time. Okay, cool. So I asked you before we hit record and I told you, I was like, oh, I should have asked you that on the podcast. So I'll have <laughs> yeah. you repeat yourself. I asked, um, were you a copywriter first or a photographer first? Or so always... were you never a photographer? Yeah. So they always went together for me. I was a photojournalism major in college many moons ago. And so writing in words always made more sense together in my brain. And then I worked in nonprofits for a really long time after I graduated again, as both a writer and a photographer. And then I decided that I wanted to start my own business. And so in 2014, I started my family photography business and I quickly learned in, you know, communities with other photographers that they really struggle with writing. So I very informally started helping them. I was like, yeah, I've been a copywriter for a decade. I can help you. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, I should charge people for this because this is a <laughs> shit ton of work. <laughs> yes. And uh, then I kind of formalized my process in 2016, early 2017. And then it just absolutely took over the business in 2018. And so I have, I barely photograph anymore. That's more because of the pandemic because the kind of photography I do is documentary. So I go into people's homes and uh -huh. that just like, wasn't something you were doing in 2020. So the photography kind of phased out and I have a whole team of writers now. So copy is my jam at this point, even though I still love photos. So did you actually get, did you get busier during 2020 because your clients like had time to work on projects or were you slower because they weren't making money? Um, I should actually look at that data. We hired a second writer that during 2020, like in January. So I should look at the number of sites we did between 2019 and 2020. And I stopped writing as much because I had a baby. Uh -huh. So I would say it was pretty consistent. Um, I would say more than anything, COVID just knocked off when the busy season was mm -hmm. because photographers usually reach out when they're slow and obviously everybody's sitting at home. So those of 
them that were like really good business owners and had this nest egg sitting around waiting for an investment reached out and they're like, Hey, I have more time now than ever. Let's do this. Um, and then we didn't get the like end of year rush in 2020 that we normally did because people were shooting weddings that had been scheduled for earlier in the year. So their slow season wasn't as typical in 2020 or last year. This is the first like normal year we're seeing and it's not even normal yet. <laughs> yeah. So I, I work with a lot of wedding photographers. So I know yeah. like when their peak seasons and slow seasons are, Yeah. I would imagine like, I know a lot of people do like fall family photos. I know mm-hmm. that's a thing. I know that like yeah. holiday photos are a thing. Big time. Are those the peak seasons for family photographers? Are there other ones? So right now my inbox is dead in September. That's how it always has been because wedding photographers are winding down, but they're still having their triple header weekends all throughout this month and family photographers are ramping up. So this is probably September, August and September are like the slowest months for us, which is great. My writers get to go on vacation. We get to take a deep breath. And then as soon as the weather starts to get cooler, that's when we start to see inquiries rolling in. And then we usually start working on those projects January, February, March. Those are our, like, we are slammed months because so few people are working then. Okay. So are you doing like a lot of, are you doing a lot of family photographers like in the summer and wedding photographers in the winter? Is that how it works? Yes. Yep. And then people who do like seniors and boudoir and other stuff just yeah. kind of like trickle in whenever. Yeah. A lot of people who, not all, but a lot of people who do seniors and boudoir also do something else. So that's typically a secondary income for them. Not necessarily seniors, but definitely boudoir. There are very few that come to us who are just like, we're only a boudoir photographer. Every once in a while, but very rarely. Yeah, because I have like a friend of friend who's a boudoir photography educator and they teach like only in-person sales and i know that that person's students make a a lot of money doing that i should start like promoting it yes um yeah that's it's really interesting because photography is so cyclical like that with other businesses like web designers and stuff they probably don't really have peak seasons Mm -hmm. but i'm imagining if they're b2b what i found is that the vast majority of us b2b people as long as our clients are not seasonal, we just see like lulls in the summer. That's what I'm finding because yep. mostly, you know, summer pe- is slow. Yeah. People are on vacation, all that kind of stuff. All right. Well, yeah. that was, that's, that was a really interesting kind of little subtopic. So we are doing, okay. First we should note you, you mentioned before we hit record that you've been on every photography podcast that you've managed to find. So we're not going to be talking about copywriting today. Um, if you want to send, maybe if you want to send me like the, the couple favorite interviews you've done where you yeah. talked about copywriting, we'll put those yeah. in the show notes. That would be great. Yeah. What we're doing instead is we're doing another one of my favorite kind of conversations, which is a P&L discussion. Um, before we get there, though, I think to lay some groundwork, it would be really fun to have you dive into what your working process is like, because okay. this is one of the reasons I was really interested in chatting with you, because based on what you shared on Claire's product podcast, you have a very productized service, and I want to dive into that. Okay. What do you want to know? Well, just kind of give us the overview of like what your, just what your service, what your service is, what the container is, all that kind of stuff. Okay. So we offer website copy for photographers. We don't do blogs. We don't do social media captions. That's the only kind of copy we will write for someone. 
Um, and our standard package is five pages, almost, I would say 90% of our clients just get the five pages. And if they want to add on a page, it's an additional fee. What are, um, what are those standard five pages? Um, it depends. It varies a little bit, but there's always home about in contact. Those are three we have to write. And then it's usually experience or process and then pricing. Cool. And if they want to do switch something out, it's just a conversation I have, but those are like the standard five that come And like with photographers, you want to walk this fine line or any honestly service provider, you want to walk a fine line of like, if they have 10 tabs open, your site needs to be intuitive enough that they can find what they're looking for when they get to your site, but you want to be different enough that you stand out, mm -hmm. but you don't want to go too off book or people are like, what is going on? I can't find the information that I came here for. So those are typically the five pages. We start every project on a Monday. So whoever your writer is, you have a call with them on a Monday and coming into that call, the writer has already interviewed two to three of your past clients. They've looked at every single social media caption you've ever written. They have read <laughs> all the reviews available about you online. Um, they've had a conversation with me about the direction I think the copy should go in. They know why you came to us and what result you're looking for. Um, and they've answered a, the, our client has answered a 40 question questionnaire that I have read and the writer has read and we've discussed it. So we've done a lot of prep work coming into that Monday call. And so it's just for clarification, like, Hey, this is what I see coming up. These are themes that we see that people really like about working with you. This is your differentiator here. This is the one reader that I've written for you. The one person we're talking to. And then, so they have that conversation, get some clarity around some questions that we all had. And then they write the first draft and they have it to me by Thursday night. So I had two drafts in my inbox this morning to edit from my writers this week. It's a Friday. <laughs> and so I edit them and gave them back to them by the end of the workday. And then deliver it to the client exactly seven days on Monday after their call with them. So they have their first draft in hand just a week after we start the process. Then they have five days to edit with the writer and with me if needed. If they need a second set of eyes to come in on something, I'll jump in. Um, but it's just back and forth in the Google Doc. We edit as much as they want. A lot of copywriters will do. We only have two or three rounds of edits. We give them five work days. And it's like, if you want to invest in this process, take it. We're yours for the week. And we only do one at a time. So if I have a client, I'm not writing for anybody else that week. You are my sole focus. Nice. Meaning so, like each of your writers has one client at a time or your yeah. company only has one client? Each of the writers. Okay. Gotcha. So that it's like, makes... I want only one voice in my head at one yeah. time. Okay. Yeah. Say so that sounds a lot, a lot more, a lot more scalable. Do yes. most of your clients really enjoy that container or do, are they ever like pushing to go beyond it? Um, I've had some people that have, after the process, they feel rushed, but that to me is like, well, then this, that that's your error for not knowing that you couldn't get in the document every five days, because we make it abundantly clear yeah. <laughs> through the onboarding process that like, we need your attention for five days. That's it. But we uh -huh. need it the whole time. Because if we have questions, you need to be able to pick up the phone and answer like, because we are your, um, indentured servant for those five days. And we are only focused on you. So let's get it moving. Um, but most people love it because a lot of people come to us after they have hired a designer and the designer is up their butt for their copy. And they're like, I can't do this. Can you help me quickly? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, we can help you in two weeks. So a lot of people love how quick the turnaround is. 
is it is there ever an issue where the designer is doing like 10 pages and you're only writing for five or does that uh sync up pretty well most of the time um it happens occasionally but very rarely and if they want extra pages they can add them on like we can okay, cool. add that like to the a process card kind of thing yep Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Uh, another question that came to me as you were explaining this, all the, all the due diligence that you're doing before you meet with a client, that's amazing. Do you ever, are there ever circumstances where you come in being like, these are the five buzzwords that like we have in mind for you as a photographer, but then when the photographer kind of explains themselves, they're actually thinking of themselves in a completely different manner, or do most people have that figured out by the time they're ready to work with you? That has happened. And something that we've shifted in our business to make sure it doesn't happen again is we will only work with people who have been in business for a little bit longer. Like if you can't tell me that you've worked with somebody you've hated and you've worked with several people <laughs> you've loved, then don't invest in us. Like I won't take your money because you need to know what you don't like doing and you need to have a really clear picture of who you want to be working with. And once people know who they love to work with and the kind of photographer they want to be, they're pretty clear about the way people feel about them and how they would like to be described. So talk to me like revenue wise, experience wise, all that kind of stuff. Where do you think most of your clients are? Um, most of my clients, we try to match what we charge with what they charge for a wedding. Nice. So as we like every six to 12 months, we raise our prices for everyone and because we're getting that much better too. And we've noticed that like, it's kind of on point with who we're attracting. Um, so if they're making five, let's say an average of five grand a wedding and they shoot 20 weddings a year, what is that? A hundred grand. Mm -hmm. um, so if it was just me, then maybe we would be on point. But as a company, we make a lot more because I have associates. Right, but right, if they right. had associates, then yeah, it is about the same. I just can do more volume because I have a team. Yeah. But the, and a lot so, of my photographers don't have teams. Yeah. So it sounds like these are people who are definitely not at beginner price points anymore. And they're also like pretty well booked at this point. Yes. Oh, definitely. Yeah. We kind of have gotten away from the like $2,000 wedding people because they shouldn't be hiring us. They should be DIYing until they're comfortable charging that higher amount for every yeah. wedding. Yeah, this is what session. I tell people. Yeah, this is what I tell people with bookkeeping as well. And they're like, what? And I'm like, <laughs> I mean, I'm happy to take like $400 a month from you. I mean, we haven't, I just kind of gave that away. This is a service we're going to be offering a few months from now. Surprise, everybody. Um, this is why I tell newer people to DIY it because it's just not, I look at people's financials all the time and I'm telling you, it doesn't financially make sense for you to spend that right. much money on this at this point in your business, right? It sounds Absolutely. like- Absolutely. And that's why we have a product because it was like, people would come to me and I wanted to help them. And it was like, I, this is not worth your time or money, like do it yourself. So I made a product to help them do it themselves for much cheaper. Okay, cool. We, we were going to talk about the product in a little bit, but since you okay. brought it up, um, you have a line item in your books for digital products. Is that one course or what do you got cooking over there with regard to that? It is one guide. It is our exact process that I just laid out for you written out in a 60 page DIY guide. So you can take yourself through a form copywriting process and write the copy yourself. It's not going to be perfect, but it's going to be a lot better than you would have done on your own. Um, it's only 200 bucks. So a lot of beginner photographers use it. Um, and then I have email templates that I sell too. Um, nice. 
like for every step of a photographer's workflow, there's an email. There's like 25 or 30 in each pack, one for wedding photographers, one for family photographers. Okay, cool. So I see that on your website. I just clicked on it. All right. So you are bringing in a pro it looks like on average $3,000 a month in digital products. You have a couple months with yeah. 2000, a couple months with 4,000. Yeah. So you're selling like 10 to 20 of those guides or a combination mm -hmm. of that in your email yeah. templates a month. Yep. Nice. Okay, cool. Do you get a lot of organic traffic onto your website where people are just like buying those with no touch points or are they usually buying them like from a downsell kind of conversation? Um, I get a lot of sales from podcasts because I'm on photography specific podcasts a lot. Um, I get a lot of sales from people who find me on Instagram and want to hire me and then realize how expensive it is and that maybe it's just not the right time in their business. So I sell a lot in my email, like in my inbox. I'm like, Hey, nice. you should do this. <laughs> um, uh, and we rank for some, um, like best email templates for photographers. I think we're on like the one or two spot for that on Google. So I do sell some from just direct search too. And my newsletter, I sell a lot in my newsletter. From your, yeah, from your email list. How big is your yeah. email list? Like 2000 people. It's pretty nice. small, but super engaged. I yeah. have like a 50 to 60% open rate on everything. Um, oh, I would imagine your, your emails are probably pretty good for copywriter. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. I also just have like a very niche following. So it's like, for me, it's not an amount. It's a quality over quantity because I'm so specific in yeah. what I do that I just need the right photographer to see it. Do you spend a lot of time uh, and energy on your emails? Yes. Yeah, I would imagine. I so this is, I, I was just talking about four a month. Yeah. I was just talking to a friend about this the other, we actually, we had like a, a TikTok talk. Are you, are you familiar <laughs> with rising tide society? Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, I'm the co-leader of the rising tide chapter here and the, oh, that's awesome. yeah, the topic this month was TikTok, And we were talking about like the design of like the covers and stuff. And I was yeah. like, well, you don't really need to worry about it. And then I said, well, unless you're like a designer, then you do, because right. people are going to look at that as a sample of your work. Same thing totally. with your emails, right? So, <laughs> yes. And it's a lot of pressure because it's like you don't always feel like being the most creative jack in the box, but yeah. you know, it, it's important. And I don't sell very often to my email list because I like it to count when I do. Smart. Yeah. Sometimes I send emails that are literally just like new podcast episode today. Here's the link. Have a yeah. good one. Um, and I think sometimes people appreciate that. Oh <laughs> yes. One of my emails is incredibly short every month, but it's like, here's the bullet points. Nice. Love that. Okay. So let's get into your bookkeeping. My first okay. question for you is this spreadsheet you sent me is beautiful. Did you hire someone to set this up for you? Do you pay someone on a monthly basis or do you do it all on your own? Um, I'm so glad you brought that up. I bought it, um, from Wilda. If you look her up, she's a designer. She's like 22, maybe oh, she's wow. so young. She's brilliant. Everything she does is stunning and gorgeous. And she sells this. And my other friend, Lydia from telltale design was her mentor and bought it. And she was like, you need to use this because I wish I should have sent you mine from last year. It was so bad. <laughs> it was so bad and confusing. And so this is still kind of a mess. It's kind of a big document, but uh -huh. at least it looks really nice now. But you do all the data entry yourself. I do. I do all okay. my like actual bookkeeping. Nice. So what I was most surprised about is when you record all of your transactions, you're actually writing down like the person who paid the amount of income and what your expense transactions actually are. So like if we go down here and I just pick a 
super random one. Um, uh-huh. A lot of things that say cookies, I'm curious what that's about. We can talk about <laughs> okay. that in a second. I'm assuming okay. a client gift is what that is. Yeah, maybe. I gift cookies. Yeah. Nice. Love that. So like steam coffee, 635. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's it was interesting to me that you're actually writing down all the transactions, which um, is not a bad thing. It's just a lot more yeah. work, but if you ever get audited, <laughs> you'll be thankful that you have that. I'm exactly. Sure. Exactly. And my <laughs> business grew really, really quickly. And it was like, we're still going to write down every coffee that I bought. Nice. Smart. Okay. So first broad question, yeah. you record all of this. Uh, do you also like get really excited to actually look at the totals at the end of every month? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I just did it today. And we're in the middle of the month. I'm like, we are having a low income month here. What can we do? I love it. I love the numbers. And what do you typically, like, what are your eyeballs really looking for when you uh, do your monthly review? I like to look at income brought in and try to figure out why it's low or high. Like Mm -hmm. what did I do differently that month? And then I always look at my expenses and see what my percentages are. Nice. Your expenses for your percentages. And then when you say you're, per, you're looking at the percentages, are you talking about for very specific expense categories or just like your profit margin percentage? My profit margin. I just want to make sure that I am investing in the right things, you know, cause I'm spending a little bit more this year than I used to spend on different service providers. And so I just want to be able to make sure that I'm still appropriately spending (laughs) and not, there's not too much going out that is not coming in. Gotcha. Okay. So without any further ado, I'm going to tell everyone how much money you've made this year. Are you ready for that? You said (laughs) you're not shy. I don't even know. (laughs) um, Well, according to your spreadsheet, you're at 219,000 year to date. Mm -hmm. Um, so I divided by that by eight and a half because we're about halfway through the month of September. So you're averaging $25,764. How do you feel about that number? That's good. My goal was 26,000 a month. That's my average, but I'm hoping by the end of September, because that average was above 2,600 until this month. So, uh, hopefully we can get it back up, but I'm not too worried because usually November and December are really big booking months. Yes. So speaking of. August is, is what brought you down. Cause you had yep, yeah. 20, almost 29,000 in June, 28,000 in July. Um, uh-huh. February was really big 33,000. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's actually, let's start with February and March. What made those such high revenue months, just peak season for your wedding people. Yeah. yeah. Cause a lot of people will like, we're pretty high from November to March. Um, like those are usually our biggest months of the year. And it's usually because people booked in December or November or December, and then we're performing, like we're doing the actual work and they're paying the rest of their uh, fee in February and March. That's typically how it works. What Um, percentage is your like initial deposit slash retainer? 50. It's 50 and then 50. Oh, okay. But I will say this year, I have had more people ask for payment plans than ever. I never had people ask for for payment plans in the past. For some reason in 2022, everybody wants to make four payments, which is fine. I'm happy to do it. Gotcha. So do you take, you take 50% when they sign their contract. So if these people, so you had a big spike in February and March, did that also Mm -hmm. mean you had a big spike in December when those people were paying their deposits? We just don't see that because that's, yeah, you just don't see it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Exactly. That makes sense. So you'll expect, so we're expecting that you'll have like big months in November and December this year too. Yes, I should. I should. Cool. Like if it 
keeps going the way it always has been. Yeah. So if we wanted to like track your income by year or your revenue by year, they're going to be, they're going to be like basically parallel line graphs, right? Yep. Parallel yep. line graphs. But would you say that the line graph for this year is trending higher than last year? How are you comparing? Oh yeah, for sure. I will. I've, I'm, I'm almost hitting already in mid-September what I made in total in 2021. Nice. Love that for you. Okay. You. So slightly down in August, I know that you already prefaced earlier that August and September tend to be slower months for you. Yeah. Is it slower? Okay. I'm going to ask you a compound question. Okay. Is it slower because you have fewer inquiries coming in or is it slower because you are intentionally slowing down to kind of like take a deep breath or both of those things? It's both of those things because like a lot, you saw June and July were big months, but we were finishing projects in those months. We didn't book as many gotcha. and now we're not booking or finishing projects in August and September because everybody was busy all summer. Cool. So it's kind of like both ends are not meeting in these months. And I planned that. That's fine. Yeah. So I would guess, I would guess just based on the income line of your P&L that you don't really, you probably don't ever really have cash flow problems in your business because your cash flow from month to month is like very consistent, even with the ups and the downs. Yeah. I'm also a wildly frugal person. So (laughs) I always have like 30 K sitting in my bank account. (laughs) Nice. Nice. And when when I say ups and downs, we're talking about like a high of 20 or a high of 32 and a low of 18. Whereas when we talk about, if, if you're familiar with like course creators, like I have course friends who will do like a hundred K launch. And then they'll have like a $5,000 month. But I could never, I could <laughs> never. My anxiety, like I'm sitting here looking at my pills that I took. Yeah. I couldn't do it. I couldn't it's do just, it. Yeah, it's just a different business model, right? You make a big I'm impressed that of, people could do it, but. Yeah, big influx of money. And then you have to kind of like save that for right. up until your next launch. Right. And that's how they run that. So what is typically, what's your target profit margin that you're shooting for? Like what percentage do I want to be profit? Yes. That's a great question. Um, I should have thought about that. I usually want, I look at like the amounts because I'm dealing with smaller numbers here. Like I would like to make a minimum of $10,000 in profit every month. Uh uh And if whatever is that percentage, if I'm making 26K in the actual income, and I want 10% of it to, or 10,000 to be profit, then whatever that is. Got it. Okay. So you're a little less concerned with the exact percentage and more concerned with like money in pocket, like money in hand. Yeah. Money in yeah. hand because I'm still paying myself. Yeah. And when you say 10,000 in profit, um, is it, is our presumption that that 10,000 is like the amount of money that you're personally making from the business each month? I, we donate 10% of everything that we earn. So Uh I'm donating 10% of those numbers that you see, not profit of like the $26,000 number is that we're donating 10% of that. So that needs to go to that. And then I pay myself right now. I think I'm paying myself like $7,000 a month. Nice. So, which is probably the highest it's ever been in the eight years I've run the business. Nice. Okay. I am going to take a real quick pause. I hear a lot of dog barking and my dog got 35 teeth pulled yesterday. So I'm just going to make <gasps> oh, sure. Oh yeah, that- please. 
I actually think it's our neighbor's dog, but I'm trying okay. to check in on Sammy like every half an hour. Just <laughs> please to make sure do it. I was like, it's she's not like mine. Still conscious. Okay. Yeah, so please go I'll, be, I'll be right back. Pause for everyone listening okay. to the podcast. Not even really a pause for you because you're not even going to notice the split we're going to have. Okay, here, here we go. We are back. Um, Sammy's vibing. She got, she got um, a, like a, not, it's not a tumor. It was like a growth taken off of her paw. So her oh. legs all wrapped up. She had 35 teeth pulled. She's 15 years 35. old. How many teeth do dogs have? Um, apparently, I don't know, but she kept four and she already had two missing bef- be- before that. So we're already doing math on this podcast. That is a, that adds up to 41. I don't know if that's right. <laughs> sweet baby only has four teeth what is she gonna eat so i asked that according to the vet they were like dogs have like hard gums so she's like they can eat hard food even without teeth so i'm like i don't know we'll see but obviously she's on a soft food diet for now yes yes poor little lady sweet baby all right so i wanted to circle back to uh your giving a little bit because you mentioned you give 10 percent. fabulous are you an s-corp yes okay do you do your, um, your donations through your business or personally? So I was doing it through my business until this year when I became uh-huh. S Corp and my accountant was like, stop doing that. Smart. So okay. He, okay. Was- <laughs> Great. I'm glad he told me the right thing. I <laughs> yeah, know because nothing what- about this and I'm just like, whatever you say, Chris. Yeah. When I saw it in your, when I saw it in your books, I actually kind of like had a little bit of a moment. I was like, why is this in here? And then I, I, when I asked you if you were doing your own bookkeeping, I was like, I hope someone didn't tell her to do that. So for everyone listening, um, long story, it's actually not even really complicated. Only C corporations can get business deductions for charitable contributions. So for the rest of us, it just makes more sense tax wise. If we make those donations personally, because then we get itemized deductions for them, but, um, still great that you track it. So I was doing it. You can see where it stopped this year Yes. when I hired him and I was like, okay, So I stopped doing it and now I do it on the personal side. So I will say like, I I pay myself $7,000, but that money out, I donate out of that money. Yeah. Nice. This is, so I have, um, I've had some clients who like to do give back programs. I've had friends who launched courses, um, and they'll say like, you know, I'm going to donate a certain amount of this. And they ask me, how should they do that? And I'm like, well, the best way to do it. which is the most complicated way is to have your client actually donate the money. So you say like, we're affiliated with these three organizations, donate a hundred dollars and then show me proof of donation. And I'll take it off of your invoice. That's oh. obviously not, you know, it's a little clunky, right? Especially yeah, if, you're yeah. like, if you're selling like courses in bulk, the other way is to do it through your um, like personal account. But then if your client like ever asks for like proof of that, then you're, you know, it's yeah, a little yeah. sticky, like either way, but yeah. Um, fun tips for everyone. For everyone do you listening. have them do it? Donate? Like you do the client donate because then you're not making as much income? Yes. Yeah. Because Interesting. Here's, the, here's the thing. Uh, here's the thing, Rachel. So if you're giving away 10% um, of the money that you're making, you're still paying self-employment tax on that income. Yeah, I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's the really shitty part is if you get to itemize your deduction. So hopefully you do itemize because then yes. you get your charitable deductions. Mm-hmm. That only saves you the income tax, not the self-employment tax. <gasps> Fascinating. Yeah. But then I, like, you from a copy perspective, I'm like, how could I explain that in words on my site that in order to work with me, you need to donate $450. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. 
Yeah, it was, so like usually, what it is. yeah, usually the way that they frame it is just that you can donate up to a certain dollar amount to this like preferred organization and we credit that off of your bill. So then people are like, okay, well, I can pay $1,500 and give $500 to like my favorite charity, or I can just pay you $2,000. And most people are going to pick the first option. Interesting. Okay. I love this. You've given yeah. me something to think about here. But I mean, when you have a lot of people that you work with, like whether it's worth putting that into your workflow is up to you. Although you seem to have things pretty systemized. So it might not be that. <laughs> At this point, yes. Be that difficult. Yeah. Okay. So uh, do you mind sharing? Do you have salary on your bookkeeping here? Because you do have an S Corp now. Are you on payroll? I am, but it's literally just a direct deposit from my business checking account into my personal. Um, and I had, I had it on the spreadsheet and my bookkeeper took it off or my accountant took it off. Cause he said it was messing with everything. Gotcha. So <laughs> does your accountant run the pay, like do the pay the taxes for you then? Yes. Yep. Got it. Okay, cool. Cool. So that is good to know. Um, so you have, all right, let's look at this. So you separate your contractor payments from your expenses, which so technically for our audience, like a contractor payment is an expense. Yeah. I'm assuming you're separating it because you really want to see that breakdown, like in your summary. But yeah, you'll see it all evens out into the net profit. Cause there's only one other, like you can see my total expenses, then the contractor payments, and then it all comes out in that number. Oh yeah. 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 So you have, um, what was I going to say here? About 45,000 in expenses, 85,000 to contractors, and then 85,000 to profit. When you look at your contractor payments, do you have a target margin percentages for that? They get the same amount on every project. So it doesn't change. Okay. So like they get paid by project no matter how long it takes them. So I am charging a client $4,500 for the website. And if a writer, if one of my writers is writing it and they get $2,100, no matter what. So it's pretty cut and dry. The only opportunity for them to make more is if they write an extra page and, um, or if they edit another writer's work that week, then they get an additional like editing fee. Gotcha. So what I was getting at is it was then in that case, your goal would be to keep your contractor payments like at or below 50% of your yep. revenue. Mm -hmm. But for you, that's actually like pretty easy without putting much thought into it because they're just getting like a flat fee for each project. Exactly. I don't have to like do math on it. Do you have any contractors that are not doing um, copywriting? Like, do you have a social media VA or anyone like that? Yes, I have um, a Pinterest gal that I have that I pay monthly. And then my, I call her my captain of organization. She's my VA, Jess. <laughs> um, so she's hourly. And so her, my payments to her fluctuate depending on how much I ask her to do that month. Nice. And are there, uh, is the payments that you give to them lumped into your contractor payments or into your expenses? Contractor payments, I think. Got it. Okay, cool. Also, it just makes it easy for me to be like, who do I 1099 at the end of the year? Yes. <laughs> like smart. whoever's in this list gets that. <laughs> yeah. So the reason I asked that is there's a whole bunch of different ways we can break it down, right? For tax mm -hmm. purposes, doesn't really matter. Right. For our <laughs> own purposes, 
what you can do. So what I do is I have, um, I have a category for, I call them team contractors. Mm -hmm. And then I have a category for what I call project-based contractors. So my team contractors are everyone that works with me on a month to month basis. Right. Um, but mine's different because they're not really doing, they're not really doing client work. So I have a copywriter that I pay and I have a social media VA. And so for me, like my percentage can be 5% of my revenue is going to contractors. 20% of my revenue could be going to Mm -hmm. contractors. Mm -hmm. Yours is always around the same percentage because the way you have your stuff structured, my project-based contractors are like, I'm doing a brand photo shoot in Palm Springs Mm -hmm. in four weeks. So that's $3,000, like to a photographer, one-off expense. Um, if I hired a copywriter, like if I hired you to do my website, like that Mm -hmm. would be a project-based contractor. Mm -hmm. Um, but the other way you can break it down is if you have contractors working in your operations, like you do that are actually delivering on the operations, you can have a category for those folks. And then you can have a category for people who aren't doing client delivery stuff. Right. And that's kind of what I do. Like, because I did a whole website rebrand in March and I have a developer and designer and they are under expenses, like what I paid them. Okay, cool. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And again, this is where this is, I'm such a nerd. I'm like, this is the fun thing about, this is the, such a fun thing about bookkeeping is it can be a little bit different for everyone, but it depends like how you, how you pay people. Right. Mm -hmm. Like if you're paying, if your people who are not working on client delivery are relatively small in comparison to your overhead, like you might not need that much detail breakdown, Right. but if it can be a lot and it can fluctuate, then you might want to separate them because, um, they're not made necessary. You can't tie what they're doing directly to your revenue. So it's a little bit more important to like, keep an eyeball on that. If that makes sense. And mine is even simpler. It's like, if they send me an invoice, they're <laughs> in a different category because my team doesn't like, I just pay got them. it. Okay. Got it. Got it. Got it. Love that. All right. That's, that's good to know as I'm kind of, um, pivoting my business model a lot, like this fall, I'm keeping yeah. all the, all of these tips. <laughs> all of these tips in mind. Okay. So and I really, made this up. This is not, this is a Rachel Grumman special over here. Like I do not know what I'm doing with numbers. I just have tried to make sense of it. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's working. Right. Yeah, um, and yeah. I'm sure you probably fine tune as you go. Yeah. Yes. Oh, absolutely. So what did you do? You said last year, things were a lot messier than they are this year. And by messier, <laughs> do you just mean like your spreadsheet didn't look as pretty yes. or was that were things like actually disorganized? Um, it was just, it was pretty confusing. Like it was a spreadsheet that a photographer had given me who made less than $50,000 a year and didn't have a team that I had cobbled together and edited every year. I would just make a copy of it. And it was getting more and more out of hand as my business Uh grew and I was paying more people and it was just like long and scrolling and color coded and no one, I was the key. Like if you had a question about it, you had to come ask me. It didn't make sense. <laughs> so this is just like prettier and it made sense. Like I don't have to explain anything to my accountant now. So your accountant's on board with this. They're like, yeah, great. I, it. I sent it to him and I said, if you would like me to do this in a different way, you let me know. And he said, no, this is great. And I was like, all right, whatever you okay. say, bro. Beautiful. We love that. Did anything like other than just the organization, did you practically change anything this year with the way that you're tracking things? Like, did you create new categories? Did you change categories? Yeah. I mean, I changed, I didn't have this populating like now on this spreadsheet, everything it's my spreadsheet is doing the math for me. Mm -hmm. And before it was like, I was having to like highlight cells to see what the totals were and 
because the columns were so long. It was like I had three columns for one category and I just had to know that there were three of them. Um, And I was doing dates on everything. Like, oh, I went to Steam Coffee Shop on this date and I was putting that in and like what I had, like it was just too detailed for what I was doing. No. (laughs) Um, The only thing you need dates for are big ticket purchases that may have to be depreciated, which is like a computer and really like not even that. But I have the receipt for it. Yeah. Like I don't need to put it in the spreadsheet. (laughs) True, 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 true. Like if I have the month, I can find the email about it. Um, But we added a writer and I added my assistant in the middle of last year. So like that has just added, you know, I have four people on my team now and we did a full rebrand. So some of that tracking is different, but overall it just is easier on the eyes. So we have, this is really nice because we, you have a section called all expenses, right? Am I in the mm-hmm. right? Yeah. All expenses. Yeah. And then I'm assuming all of these people's names under expenses are probably your copywriters. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Okay. So like Rachel, Jenny, I don't know. I'm assuming they're not like top secret. They're on no, your website, they're not. Right? They're all on the website. <laughs> okay. So then you have over on the column, you, you share the amount that you pay them each month and then you have year to date total. So that's great because then when your accountant goes to do yeah. your 1099s, you just have it totaled there. Yeah. Um, how do you pay your contractors? Through Zelle. Through Zelle. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. Um, I, my listeners all know I'm an affiliate for Gusto. You don't need that because you have an accountant. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the thing I love about Gusto, for those of you listening that are doing your own bookkeeping and stuff right now, is that I pay all my contractors through Gusto and Gusto just like automatically emails them their 1099s in January, which that's so nice. That love. is so nice. Yeah, it is really nice. Um, well, even if your 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 accountant might be using Gusto for you, maybe not. They might be yeah. doing it manually. But regardless, uh, most most um, like traditional payroll companies will do that, which is fantastic. Yeah. Who is, if you don't mind me asking, who's Small Business Solutions? That is my accountant. Okay, great. Love that. All right, I'm gonna be real nosy and look at that yeah. item closely <laughs> later. Um, the biggest expense was in April. I'm assuming that was for your tax return. Um, no, my tax return isn't even on here. Oh, okay. They're not, the taxes aren't even included in here. This was my rebrand, I think. Oh, it's under small business solutions though for the month of April. Oh, for him? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. tax return. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then you have some other charges. Are those just like one-off consultations or something? Yeah, that's like what it takes for him to do my payroll, I think. And to like pay my taxes. Okay, love But we didn't get my S-Corp status until like a month ago. So- they'll be more, they'll be monthly now. Okay. Got it. You're a month, like monthly payroll now. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Normally I would go through a lot more detail and like dig into all your expense categories, but outside of your contract, like if you take contractors out of it, your expenses are really low. Remember real frugal, real yeah. frugal. <laughs> We could all, we could all probably learn some lessons on that. <laughs> Let me ask you this, Rachel. Um, I would say, okay, I think this will just be a fun discussion topic. Okay. You right now are on track to do what, like maybe close to 300K this year in revenue. Mm -hmm. And you're on track right now to pay basically the same amount of money to yourself that you're paying in total to your team. Yes. That sounds about right. That makes sense because you pay them about 50% per project. Mm-hmm. Um, fair to say that if you wanted to do more work in the business, you could be paying yourself a lot more. Oh my gosh, so much more. 
but I've I'm written, assuming I've, like you, I've you had would five be. clients this year and no more on the books. I will oh, not I, be writing for the rest of the year. You would be doing that if you wanted to do that. So why are you not yeah. doing that? Because I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old who are always home. Yeah. So like work-life balance necessity. All that it, kind of I mean, it was a nightmare the past two years trying to serve my clients in the way and at the level that I expect of myself and also being a present mother. I mean, it is, it was torture. <laughs> it's yeah. been the hardest two years of my life, but I finally am at the point where it's like, I love marketing my business. I'm really good at marketing my business. I'm really good at bragging about my writers in a way that I'm not that good about bragging about myself. And so yeah. I found this sweet spot of like, if I can sell them, why wouldn't I? Like if I can just make a dumb reel every day and write four newsletters a week and be really hands-on with our clients in the onboarding process, because that's why they came probably because of me and something I said or wrote and then sell them on how great my writers are. That's my sweet spot. That's what I'm good at. And um, another big piece of it is that I would love for green chair stories to not be synonymous with my face at some point. Yeah. Now that we have a team, I would love to take my face out of it and just have people come because we are the experts in this. You're not going to find anyone who has written more photography websites than us. You won't. And so I would like to be able to hire an OBM eventually and do something else, you know? Love that. This isn't going to be my forever job. My clients are 22. Like I can only <laughs> be relevant for so long. You know, I'm a 35 year old mom of two and I, that'll, that's only going to resonate with a, <laughs> yeah. you know, a core piece. And, you know, there is something in the future for me. And if that's going to happen, this business needs to run and be profitable without me. Yeah. You, you chat, you chat a lot about work-life balance on your episode with Claire Yeah, and Claire as a fellow mother, I think relates yeah. to you a lot better about yeah. that than I probably could. So <laughs> if people are interested in learning more about that, go yeah. tune in. Yeah. Um, Rachel, what I'm curious about is what's your, like, what's your like one to three to maybe five year goal for your business in terms of how much money you personally will be making? I need to, I would be fine if I stayed where I'm at with what I'm making and the amount that I'm working. Okay. Um, cool. Because I'm working hard, but not nearly as much and not as not much on the weekends as I used to, which is really important to me. Um, I would love if my writers never, ever left me. <laughs> I love them. I have a great team right now. Um, I know that's not feasible, but we've had a lot of success. My first writer was with me for four years before he left this year. Um, and then my other writer has been with me for two and a half now. And the other ones have been with me all year. So I would, my one to three year plan is to keep them. I want nice. to keep them. I don't want a lot of turnover. I'm not trying to build this and grow this. I don't want to make a course, you know, I make <laughs> products when people ask me to, I am not somebody that's looking to turn a buck. It's like, sure. I had clients asking me for literally over a year to write them templates. And when I did, they sell without me ever talking about them because they're really good and they work because I'm a professional writer. And so I like to serve people really, really well. And if I get to make extra because somebody asked me to make something that's really helpful to them, I'll do it. But if I get to, you know, my son had COVID last week. And so all of us had to be home for a week mm. and I was able to work at the pace that I have been with having two toddlers up my ass for five days straight. <laughs> and that's the goal, you know, yeah. 
I can't really look past kindergarten for the youngest one right now. Like my goal is to get them in kindergarten and wipe in their own butts. And then it's like, all right, what's happening? What are we doing here? You know, that's like when I'm going to dream big. I admire the moms that are able to do both at the same time. But after the past two years, it's like, if I can just maintain this thing, this monster, this beautiful monster that I've grown during COVID, I will be thrilled. But I, th- I think this is why you're such a, a really interesting case study for me, because I'm always like very revenue growth oriented, yeah. right? And for you, what I'm hearing you say, so correct me if I'm wrong, is that if anything, your only goal at this point is to maybe work less in the business. Uh-huh. So if you want to grow your revenue anymore, you really just need to grow it to uh, basically take on any additional expenses you're going to have due to you working less. So yep. Make exactly. the extra $40,000 you need to pay the OBM that's going to do a lot of the stuff that you're currently doing. Exactly. Exactly. And it won't be like this forever because I am an entrepreneur. Like I've <laughs> got so many business ideas and I can't wait to have the time and space to execute on them. But we just moved back across the country from Philly to Denver last year. We bought a house. We're renovating the whole thing starting next yeah. month. So and I'm going to owe a lot of different people money for that renovation. So I like there yeah. needs to be, <laughs> there needs to be some money coming in at some point, but yeah. I feel so grateful that I've been able to make it. And now I'm like, maybe just like rest for a second and let the money be what it is without killing yourself to make more. Yeah. I I also think that your business, like right now, the revenue level you're at for a lot of, for, I think for a lot of my listeners will be aspirational because I work, uh, a lot of my listeners are newer business owners, Right. but at the same time, it's like, these are numbers that I think anyone should be able to hear and look at and think like, I can do that. Like I can make that happen. And two years ago, I wouldn't have been able to say I can make that happen. Yeah. Yeah. I but think- I think you reach a point where you're like, oh yeah, duh. Like, yeah. Okay. Like I can make that happen. So right. I, I think it's an interesting case study too, because I'm actually, so I'm going to be speaking at wedding MBA this year Oh, cool! in a couple of months. And my topic is, I forget what the exact title is, but basically my thesis is that $200,000 should be the new six figure benchmark. Because if you want to have enough money to like pay all of your bills without having another full-time job, that's how much you need after your business expenses and your taxes. Mm-hmm. And I think that your numbers are such a good example for this because it kind of goes a step beyond and it says, well, maybe 300,000 is the amount that you need to make if you want to have a livable salary. And like, do you, would you say that you work part-time at this point? Yeah. Yeah. So like to make a full-time salary, like working part-time in your business with good systems and a great team. Yeah. And a team that's key. Like, I just think I never thought this number was feasible for me because I was the only one working for so long. (laughs) And even though I had writers, I was still doing all the admin. And so it was like, well, I'll never be able to get to that because I could literally see the hours building up of how much I would have to be working to hit that number. Yeah. And I think I couldn't do it. When I had Claire on, like one of her biggest line items was for one person she paid in her business. And she's like, yeah, that's a lot of money. And then I was like, Claire, would you, uh, take a $40,000 pay increase if that workload had to be put back on your lap. And I think her exact response was, fuck, fuck no. no. Yeah, exactly. I was like, I can hear Claire saying that. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, I feel that. I've been thinking the same as like, I have a lot of contractors now. I have six uh, VAs on my team. Wow. Um, But I also, 
like a lot of my business model is I'm participating in four bundles, like in the month of October. That's so like now lot. my contract, yeah, my contractors basically are doing my social media and I have them fill out like all of the type, like one of the things I hate the most is filling out any kind of form, like a type form. I hate it. And they're like, <laughs> give me 10 headshots. And like, what's your biggest life's accomplishment? And like, what's your favorite color? And I'm was like, why do we care? But it, it those are it my was, favorite. It gives me a you, break from everything else. I'm like, <laughs> let me write you a novel right now. Yeah. Well, you like writing, right? Whereas yeah, I'm like, exactly. can I voice memo you these answers, please? <laughs> so like now I have um, the same person who actually is going to listen to this episode. Uh, hi, Emily does all that kind of stuff for me, which is That's great because awesome. it gets a lot, of, a lot of like the little shit off of my, yes, off of my calendar. And that little, that little shit piles up and makes you hate your life. Yeah. And yeah. there's no amount of money that's worth hating your life. Yeah. Cause I like to come into my office every day and most of my to-do items, they're like big, they're like big tasks. And I like that. They like, should be. Yeah. It, it'll be like, like tomorrow, not tomorrow's a Saturday, but Monday, like my core task is record five podcast episodes. And I might have to like respond to a couple of emails and do like a half an hour of administrative work when I get mm -hmm. in my office. But otherwise, like that's the day five. podcasts. Yeah, episodes. you should be the biggest thinker in your business. Yeah. It's your business. And I always say that to my contractors, like if you're feeling like you ever have to think higher than your pay grade, I want to know right away. Yeah, love that. You sound like a great boss. I'm sure you're do your people. I hope love working so. With you? I, I think gone. so. Oh, they, they stick around. It. Okay. I want to, um, sorry. I was like ADHD is kicking in as I'm like <laughs> scrolling through your uh, spreadsheet as you're talking. Uh, I think we all need to know about these cookies now. <laughs> so I eat cookies for breakfast, like a lot that it's my favorite breakfast food. I uh -huh. think that they're the, just the perfect little breakfast. And I talk about it a lot on Instagram and people are like, Oh, you're so crazy. You eat cookies for breakfast. And I'm like, it's not that crazy. It's no. perfect. Um, uh, and my mom used to, it's because my mom used to give them to us for breakfast. My mom makes the best, the world's best chocolate chip cookie. They're incredible. She's known all over Pennsylvania for these cookies. Oh, I'll fight her on that. We'll, we'll go. <laughs> we'll go. I would love to try yours if you have a good one. Um, and she get up at like 4 a.m. I have four siblings, so big family. And she would make them for like all the teachers in the school. And we would come down for breakfast and there'd be like two little cookies sitting at our place for breakfast every morning. And it was just like such a good memory for me. So I knew that I wanted my client gift to be cookies. So I mail cookies to every client after That's they work awesome. with us. I'm going to steal the that. Levain cookies. Maybe, you, maybe not cookies, but I'm going to, I'm going to steal that. Can you just, can you give us a link to this cookie place so we can put it yeah, in the show notes? It's Levain. It's the like most popular blue box cookie from New York city. They're incredible. They weigh like two pounds each and okay. it's worth every penny. And my clients love it. Like getting that box in the mail is so fun. I love that. We, uh, so fun side note on the cookies for breakfast thing. I thought <laughs> Oreos and milk like was a breakfast food until I, <laughs> until I was like 14 or 15. Like, I'm not even kidding you. I was probably, you must have fun parents. Yeah. Uh, I was like <laughs> junior high, like junior high, early high school until I realized that like cookies were not like a breakfast staple. They to are. me, it was like, Let's it bring literally, it back. yeah, it was, am I having rice crispy treats or cookies and milk? Like those were the two breakfast options. And I thought they were like synonymous. See, this um, is what makes me need to relax as a mom. You're eating Oreos for breakfast every day until you're 14. Well, like, I don't need to be shoving spinach pancakes down my kids' throats. It's I'm 33 and I'm still <laughs> trying to kick off the sugar addiction. So I do think balance oh. is balance is key, right? Same. Hard same. I love sugar. 
but then when I got in college, I decided I was like going to get, when I got in grad school, I decided I was going to be healthy. So then I made a rule where I couldn't buy my own cookies anymore. I was like, I only get dessert if I make dessert and it backfired so now you're a little bit because now I'm a really good baker. <laughs> I know me too. I grew up Mennonite. It's like in my blood. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's, that makes sense now that your mom's like whip, whipping up homemade cookies. She's yeah. probably not buying the Oreos. <laughs> no. Um, Oh yeah, I do make a really good uh, chocolate chunk shortbread cookie. Ooh, that's that sounds delicious. Yeah, yeah, I'll send you the recipe. Perfect. Okay, so last thing we have to talk about before we say goodbye, um, you have an expense on your bookkeeping for the Enneagram Institute. Yes. Are you paying for your contractors to take the Enneagram assessment, or why do you have multiple expenses for the Enneagram <laughs> Institute? I pay for every client to take it. <sighs> That's so, so fun. Every client, when they get their questionnaire, also gets a link to take the Enneagram. It's only a $12 expense for me. And it is so wildly helpful because I, I fancy me and all of my writers, a little bit of an Enneagram expert at this point, because we have worked with every single personality type. And it's so funny because most of our clients are nines. And I'm like, duh, you can't decide what to put on your website. And you just want to appeal to everyone. <laughs> so I was going to ask if you see consistencies among photographers in general, or it just sounds like consistencies, at least with the people who hire you it's definitely, I don't know if we're drawing them in. Like, it'd be interesting to know what photographers as a whole test as. Uh -huh. um, we have a lot of threes because I think threes are obviously driven to like run their own businesses. Um, if you are a Christian woman who is a photographer, I would bet my left tit that you're a two, um, <laughs> which I am, unfortunately. I think I was either... I think I was nurtured to be a two. I think it's in my nature. Well, to be I often That's ask strong. people, I often ask my friends, I'm like, are you actually an Enneagram two? Or <laughs> did you just uh, answer all of your questions on your assessment out of your mothering sense of obligation? <laughs> or did you grow up in the evangelical church? Yeah. Like, or was it, and you're a woman. Yes. Um, so, but I do see a lot of twos, a lot of threes, so many nines, so many nines. Are all the fine art photographers fours? I would think on one hand <laughs> that a lot of wedding photographers would be fours, but then probably not. They're all probably like um, threes, okay, threes we, with four wings. Yeah, we don't get a lot of fours. <laughs> fours struggle with the execution of their art as business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So... Yeah, we don't personally get fours. That's not to say that there's not a lot of Enneagram four photographers, but I don't think they're hiring copywriters because I could see a four being like, how can you write in my voice? You don't know me. Yeah, my <laughs> friend, know? my friend, Allie, who's a pretty successful uh, artist, you all should go connect with her on Instagram. I'll yeah. have to find what her handle is. Um, but she says she's a three wing four and she considers herself an entrepreneur first and an artist second, which I always thought interesting. was so interesting. interesting. Yeah. So I need to know what you are because I have an assumption. In well, my you head. already, you've already said that, you know, so I'm assuming that no, you've I said, guessed it. I said, I'm guessing in my head what you are. And I think you're a four. No. Well, just a because four? you said, well, you said that you wanted to be different and that's why you majored in Russian. And I was like, oh. that is a hard four. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm a seven. I'm a seven. Are you? Well, that makes sense too. Yeah. So Mr. it was less, Mr. Yeah, Mr. It Fun was Pants. less that I wanted to be different. And it's more that I like wanted to do something different and fun. And you were like, maybe one day I'll travel. So I should learn yeah. another language. That yeah. Is so I seven. started <laughs> out, I started out wanting to major in international business. So I took okay. business courses, Russian, German, then I ended okay. up doing poli sci. 
And then I thought I would do international law. And then I thought I would do international <laughs> tax. This all tracks. Um, this all tracks. Yeah, it all, it all tracks. I would have assumed um, just because the vast majority of editors and copywriters I know are all ones. So I'm assuming you're a two wing no. one, or no, I guess I'm you could be a two wing three. I am a two wing three. Um, the people I've who do not know the Enneagram gray. at all are just like completely <laughs> over this podcast, but that's okay. Sorry. We I see the world the in end. gray though. And black yeah. ones are like, so black and white. I feel like every yeah. accountant I know is the one. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. But yeah, um, we this make is them why, take it because it helps us, it helps us get into their brain a little bit more and understand kind of the head and heart space they operate from. Uh-huh. And so it lets us assume without assuming. Nice. Yeah. I, I love it. I'm obsessed. I have read multiple Enneagram books. I've Me listened too. to a lot of the podcast. Um, I even thought about getting certified because Me of course too. I did. Okay. Nice. Nice. Maybe. Okay. So we'll have to like really stay connected because I'm like one of these days, if I ever do do an Enneagram podcast, I yeah. will want to have a co-host. And <laughs> okay, I would totally do. I'm not an expert, but I pretend to be. It'd be fun though. I actually, so my best friend from college, she lives, she's out in New York city now. She's like Uh doing her thing. And I asked her, I was like, this is totally out of left field, but I'm kind of bored. And I want to start a third podcast. Um, (laughs) Do you want to talk about the Enneagram? And she's like, I mean, yes, but fuck no. Um, (laughs) She's a four. And so she's like, I'm a little bit too busy, like crying and reading Dostoevsky when I go home from work every day to like be doing a podcast just for fun. I would totally do that with you. It'd be great, right? So fun. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I actually tried to get the Instagram handle a few years ago, uh, Enneagram for entrepreneurs. And that was already taken. So I was like for my future 18th business, I'll have to come up with a different name. (laughs) Okay. Well, I'll have one with you. It'll be great. It'll be perfect. Okay. Awesome. And I think, yeah, you'll be, I'll let you write the copy. Okay. Lovely. Done. (laughs) Deal. All right. So let's, we're going to start to wrap this up. Um, all of my, uh, listeners know that I asked the same question to close out every interview. It's very high stakes, very high pressure. Are you ready? I am. Okay, cool. So I have a free Facebook group called Braden's besties. If you're a new listener, um, you should go join Braden's besties on Facebook. If my audience wants to become one of your besties, Rachel, what's the best way for them to do that? Um, like where to find me or like what yeah. they need to do to endear themselves to me, because those are two <laughs> different answers. Probably um, more the where to find you. But if you want to give some tips on both, I'm sure that they'd enjoy that. I am on Instagram all the time at green chair stories is my handle. And then I have eight years of free blog content um, at greenchairstories.com If you want nice. tips on writing and it, I talk directly to photographers, but it applies to any service provider. Cool. And we will put all of the links in the show notes, of course. Rachel, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and for being so transparent with all of your financials for us. Oh, you are so welcome. Thanks for asking me the fun questions. Thanks. Have a good day. You too. Hey there. Before you go, I wanted to give a quick thanks. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. If you loved it, I would love for you to take a screenshot of the episode or snap a quick selfie while you are listening. Share it on social and give me a tag. It'll help other kick-ass entrepreneurs like yourself find the show. That's it for today. I'll be back soon with a new episode. Meanwhile, let's roll up our sleeves and unfuck that biz.